0: Welcome to the MercyCast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the past 10 years, I've started a nonprofit that helps people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've met a lot of friends who are on a similar journey, each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other with the more adversity that we face. Our inner monologue doesn't always have our best interests in mind. The way that we speak to ourselves and what we believe about ourselves actually matters. Negative self-talk can have a deep impact on our self-esteem and our perception of the world. Joe spent his entire life believing that he was not good at anything. In his own eyes, he was a bad kid. This was only reinforced by the adults in his neighborhood who would restrict their kids from spending time with him. For a kid who desired to belong, this was as painful as it was formative. This negative self-perception and self-talk has hounded him throughout his life. Today I am joined by Joe Thorne, the pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois, the author of Note to Self, and the host of Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice. Joe, I'm really glad to have this conversation today. Yeah, I don't really care.
1: I'm so, I mean, I'm doing like, we're buddies and we finally get to be like, you've been on, you've been on my podcast. I finally get to be on your podcast. Like this is fun.
0: And you are a master of banter. And most people who fun. listen to my podcast will say, you know what, Raleigh, you don't banter as much. And I'm like, well, there's a price you have to pay. Yes, right. If you want to banter, you're making a choice.
1: Yeah. And not everybody likes the banter. Some people want to get, give me the straight dope. I want to get right to the thing, get to the thing, say the thing. And I'm like that with books. Don't tell me stories. I don't care about your stories. I don't help find them helpful. John was married for 10 years. Don't care. Give me the principle. Most people like it. I don't like it, but I do like banter on a podcast. I like conversation because I like conversations. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's not everybody likes it. It's okay.
0: Everyone is talking about Negative self talk. I feel like it's in the news a lot now, and people are saying what you say to yourself matters. And I remember having a conversation with you months ago, and I remember saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this and I'm having a hard time processing this. And you stopped me in the middle of what I was saying, and you said, you're listening to yourself, but you're not talking to yourself. And I think when we listen to ourselves, We're listening to the default and oftentimes that is and can be negative. Mm -hmm. And so you grew up seeing yourself in light of this good, bad dichotomy, like you're a bad kid. So you start doing things that are bad. Yeah. How have you started addressing negative self-talk in your life? Well, I don't want
1: to get it twisted. Like my parents were always affirming. My parents loved me. They didn't talk down to me. They didn't call me stupid. They didn't call me idiot. So I don't know what the origin of this self-doubt, self-loathing, I don't know where that came from, but it didn't come from my parents.
0: You think it could have come from maybe a desire to be perfect, like perfectionism?
1: I don't know. It could be. You know, I don't know that I've done a whole lot of processing on where it came from originally. I can see how aspects of pride and whatnot have fed into it over the years. But yeah, there's always been that sort of self-doubt, self-loathing, self-hatred. I, I didn't feel that I was good or good enough. And some of that was true, but it really got, it really, I really, I turned, I guess I allowed some of that thinking to, to take over in such a way where I, I couldn't see the good because there's always something good, relatively good. There's always good. There's always positive and I couldn't see those things. I don't think I ultimately really addressed it until it would have been 1989 was probably the first, I was born in 1972. So 1989 would have been the first time anybody ever told me about Jesus, God's love for sinners, Christ's death on the cross for me. The idea that God would love me, pursue me, redeem me, that he might have me and that we might be reconciled, all of that was completely alien to me. And the more that I contemplated it, the more beautiful it became. And then once I believed it, that was really the beginning of my transition out of pure self-loathing and doubt. And that was the beginning of when I could begin to say like, okay, well, I am made by God and God makes good things. You know what I mean? Like God saw what he made and he said, this is good. And then he made humanity goes, oh, this is very good. And the more I learned about theology and scripture, the more I understood. I have no right to hate myself because I'm God's creature. And so God made good things. I should be able to see the good in me. And the idea of self-love, which people make fun of. Right. You know, like, oh, you know, you got to. It's, they say that sounds hippy, dippy, trippy, or man-centered, but it, it was by reading scripture that I began to see very clearly, like self-love is assumed in scripture, almost like God is assumed. The Bible doesn't start with an argument for the existence of God. Genesis starts with God. Right. In the beginning, God, he is. And self-love is that way. It is assumed that you love yourself or that you're supposed to love yourself, you know, Mark 12 the whole, the whole, love your neighbor as yourself. It is assumed that you love yourself. And so you're supposed to love your neighbor in the same way, to the same degree that you love yourself in an appropriate way. So scripture theology is what began to really check these aberrant thoughts that had really gone wayward and then bring me back into a better understanding of who I am and what I really am capable of, who I really am, made in God's image, made for God's glory, made for the good of others. All of that stuff took, it it, it took a lot of time. It still takes time. Because I'm still very much in process, and I would also say, uh, so it started in '89. I became a believer in 1990, and then over the years, God has used the Word and His Church to reinforce the truth that I am reticent to sometimes embrace, because it's just frankly easier to kind of hate myself and say that I suck at everything. That's easier than saying like, no, I'm I'm actually good at something, and I'm going to put it out there and trust the Lord with it. So it's it's a long. It's been a long. That's been a long journey. I'm 50, dude. I'm still learning this
0: stuff. Well, and I really appreciate your honesty here because so many of us who are Christians, we sit there and we look at ourselves and we hate what we see. And I think in certain theological contexts, it's very easy to make self-loathing a virtue. Mm -hmm. I'm a worm. I'm the worst thing that's ever come into the scene. And I think that is actually pretty prideful because at the end of the day, yes, we are sinners. We are broken. We are in need. But we are also created by God for his yeah. glory, to fellowship with him. Yeah. And so you, in 1989, you have had this conversion experience. Before, you didn't see any light. No. And now all of a sudden, you're in this place where you're like, okay, maybe not everything that has got me to this point is true and should be trusted.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what it's like. You hear something about yourself. It's like abused people. people right. Spouses, children, you're abused. They're, they're, they're oftentimes told they're stupid, they're worthless, you're no good. And you people believe that. We begin to believe it. Absolutely. Um, yes. And you don't, you don't have to have an abuser to come to that conclusion. You can just be messed up like me. And though I did suffer sexual abuse at by fifth grade, but before that I was already having these thoughts. So it's like you'll believe those lies. And it is. Like people know, anybody who knows me knows, like I do not have a lot of self-confidence. I tend to think I'm not very good at stuff still to this day. And that doesn't mean I'm humble because what that really means is like, we think a whole lot about yourself, don't you? Maybe if you didn't focus on yourself so much, you wouldn't be worried about uh, how good you are at some of these things or, or whatever. So yeah, it's not about humility because humility is a proper and true assessment of who you are in light of who God is. And so it's not thinking that you're nothing It's thinking who you actually are in light of the God who made you. That's what it is. It's not thinking that you're a waste because that's not true. No. But you have to relearn it because it's not just what other people are saying. Sometimes it starts with that, but it really becomes an echo chamber in our own heads. We say the same thing to ourselves and we're constantly reinforcing it. Like the neuroplasticity stuff that people, that scientists talk about, right? You're putting these pathways in your brain and they become harder and harder and you got to Rewiring that is, is, it takes time you know, to, to, to learn these spiritual truths so that they become a, a more natural part of your consciousness.
0: Well, you had mentioned this idea of self-love, loving yourself, and how a lot of people can kind of poo-poo on that. They push back on it and they yeah. say, well, self-love, it involves the self. We need to focus on just the gospel. Sure. I've had people really come at me and say, well, you talk about self-care. You shouldn't talk about self-care. You need to understand that the gospel gives you everything you need. And I, in no way, am underplaying the power of the historic Christian gospel. I think this is beautiful. I also understand that we are all in process and we are all in our own contexts. And the gospel, I believe, impacts us holistically. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so that does free me to not only love my neighbor, but to love myself.
1: In fact, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. No. It turns into something weird. It turns into something utilitarian at best because the command is is to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, there's a difference between self-preservation and selfism, right? Selfism is the religion of the world. It's looking out for number one. I'm the most important person in the room, in the world. I'm the hero. I'm the actor that should get all the attention. Selfism is Satanism, really. I mean, that's a whole other subject. But the Anton LaVey brand of Satanism is just purely selfism. It's you are a God. You are the most important thing. That's not self-preservation. That's not self-love. There's a difference. Self-love is recognizing who you are, who you actually are made by God for God. Therefore, yes, I love what God has made. I'm going to treat what God has made with respect. I'm going to be a good, what's the word? Caretaker of it, right? A steward, that's the word. I'm going to be a good steward of what God has made. And then when you begin to understand, like, wow, God made me or himself, and, he, and there, are, there are ideal versions of me, better versions of me than I am right now. And it's God's love that actually draws me into that stuff, right? Because was, what is he doing? Like salvation is not just forgiving me of my sins, but it's actually transforming me progressively throughout my life through the process of sanctification to become the ideal version of myself. It's like this whole idea of becoming Right? If you think that you're a loser, if I think that I just suck at everything, I'm never going to try. I'm never going to push beyond where I'm at. I'm just going well, to I'm no good at it. Why would I try? Unless it's just for entertainment, right? Like I'm not good at bowling, but I like to throw the ball. And I'm not good at pool, but I like to do it. But I know that I'm never going to become a great pool player, so I'm never going to try. If you apply that to your life, like I'm never going to overcome my current sins and temptations. I can't become a better player version of myself it's not people don't change you're basically saying people don't change well that's just not in the gospel that's not a part of god's revelation and in fact i was thinking about this you and i were talking earlier over lunch had chicken wings yeah we did it was good they had were some chicken wings. they were huge Those you chickens, ate twice as much as i did for the record they were so Those many chickens
0: worked out i they mean were, they, yeah, they, they were had on, huge caps they're, they're, they're,
1: i heard they were taking human growth hormones actually so i think so yeah. they had to a bit because they were ripped those are big chicken wings. So we had those. And, I, and this came to my mind because we were talking a little bit about this. There's a song by NF. Do you know NF? Yeah. Okay, so NF 2019, he had an album called The Searching, the album, the, the title song, right? Searching. Here's a line where he's talking about it. This inner dialogue. He, he oftentimes raps about the inner dialogue in his head. And he says, if you look at your face every day when you get up and think you'll never be great, you'll never be great. Not because you're not, but because the hate will always find a way to cut you up and murder your faith. Wow. It's like, really, it's a very clear statement of what we're talking about. You keep telling yourself you'll never be great. You'll never be better. You'll never, you'll never overcome. You'll, you never will. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're dooming yourself. You're damning yourself is what you're doing. And that's not what God does in Christ. He says, no, I'm going to renew your mind. So I'm going to transform your, your heart and your soul. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. These are the things that God says in the Bible about what he does for people who believe.
0: There was a book written by Kamal Ravikant called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, and he talks about the science of neuroplasticity, and he talks about the idea that, yes, the things that you have been saying to yourself over and over and over as you've been listening to yourself and really being your own jerk friend, Mm -hmm. these things have rooted themselves in your brain. Yeah. and. It's kind of hard to erase that, but you can Mm -hmm. build another rut in your brain by saying the right things to yourself and thinking the right thoughts. And I'm not saying the power of positive thinking. I'm not going there per se, but I am thinking towards being healthy. And like what you're saying, especially with that NF quote, is you reap what you sow. Yeah, that's the principle. Absolutely.
1: you can't... this whole idea of like, oh, well, aren't you just saying the power of positive thinking? Like, okay, on the one hand, no, we're going to dismiss that philosophy. But the, there is a, a principle that we're talking about that is very much true. Is there power? Okay, let's not talk about positive thinking. Is there power in confessing the truth? You know, is there power in, in confessing scripture? Is there, like, why are we, why does the psalmist, why does David say, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you? Why does he say things like that? It's because when you meditate on the truth, about who God is and how he has made you and what he has made you for, God uses his word to you know, change us, to form us and meditating like this whole discipline. Like that's what my first book is about, right? The note to self is all about meditating on scripture. We, we need to meditate on scripture because the thoughts that we tend to have in our heads are not the best. And so we meditate on scripture because those are the best thoughts, the, the truth. And that then begins to train us how to think about God and ourselves. And so, yes, there is power in that kind of positive thinking because you're confessing like the positive law of God or you're confessing the the revealed will of God. And most importantly, you're confessing the revealed nature of God, who God is and how he relates to us as his people. I think think that's incredibly power. So people want to say like, oh, it's the power of positive thinking and whatever that dude's name is, Percy or whatever, um, who wrote that do that guy's name
0: what that Norman name? Vincent Peel
1: Peel that's right Peel um not Jordan Peel No that guy's different. cool you know I, I like used to guy. be an
0: elder at a church right around the corner from where Norman Vincent Peel started his ministry
1: That you go to church over there
0: I was in, in New, New, York New York and I was yeah I was one of the elders at a church right there and we weren't doing that but right right, right. he has a statue right outside of his church like Rocky Like Rocky <laughs> But he's holding a book, and he's got these glasses that actually look <laughs> just like mine. Okay, I'm. I'm really okay, you, you, some decisions. Yeah, you, are,
1: you do look like Norman Vincent Peale. I do. He was handsome. Okay,
0: Real, was he? No, I don't okay. know. I, I don't, don't know. I didn't stare that longingly at the statue.
1: I think. I think if you have a listen, you, you're only allowed to have a statue if you killed bad guys. That's. I, I don't want a statue of you if you didn't kill bad guys. You have to have been like a warrior, and then you're like, look at that guy. He
0: saved. He's holding a book.
1: Yeah, I can hold a book.
0: I, it, that's, it's a weird thing to have a statue of.
1: You know, you know what, uh, did you see, I don't know if your listeners know this, but, uh, there's a really big church in California called Grace Community Church. And there the pastor. There is a very, very well-known pastor among evangelicals in particular. And, and I have read a number of his books and I've been helped by many of his books. He's a very good preacher, but he's like, I don't know, he's like 190 now or something, but they just had a conference. And of course, it's at his church and they were serving Fresca. Did you see the Fresca cans?
0: I've heard about it. I didn't see them. Oh,
1: yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, So you could buy these Fresca cans that had his face on
0: each for the Fresca. Well, that's when you know you've arrived. <laughs> I, you know what? I never want to get there then. No. I, I do not want to get there. I could see, like, my face on, like, a LaCroix can.
1: No. No? See, no? you would do LaCroix, yeah, I would, like, yeah. You are. You're fancy. That Pamplemousse, And by the way, it's you're maybe not because it's LaCroix. Is it LaCroix? Yeah.
0: I, I don't yeah, know, man. See, you're.
1: You're not bougie enough. No, I come from a small town. you got the glasses. you got the bougie glasses on now. I can look the part, yeah. Yeah,
0: but you don't know. So what I'm enjoying about this conversation so far is so many times when you talk about things with Christian leaders, it's very easy to fall into the temptation of, I was once like this, but now I fixed it. Now I have Jesus and it's no longer a problem. But what you're saying is, no, I have been saved. I am being saved. Salvation is working itself out in my life to where I am being sanctified in a way that I think about myself is different than the way that I used to spend all mm-hmm. my time thinking about myself, but I still struggle and I still wrestle. And for yeah. those reasons, you bring up, well, now I practice these practices and now I say these things to myself. Yeah. What are some of the things that you do on a regular basis to keep yourself regular, so to speak? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, l- let me say this. First of all, the idea of preaching to yourself has been around for a long time. The Puritans actually, um, you'd find this in some of their sermons and in some of their treatises, they will talk about preaching to yourself. In fact, Matthew Henry has this, I don't have it with me, but uh, he has this famous quote, or at least a very good quote, on how when we're praying to God, we are also preaching to ourselves because we're not informing God of anything he doesn't know, but we are calling upon his promises. We are, we are appealing to his nature and his character. And in doing this, we are preaching to ourselves. So that's, that's not a new thing. And the idea of stop listening to yourself, right, and start talking to yourself, that was really coined by Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression. He's the one that says, listen, part of your problem is you're constantly listening to the voices in your head telling you that, you know, you'll never be great, right, to, to quote NF that you'll never overcome. You'll never be what you you're just, you're just a loser. He says, you got to start talking to yourself. And then he says something like, you need to take yourself by the hand and lead yourself to the truth, right? Lead yourself to the word of God specifically so that you have a better understanding. So yeah, the means by which I am learning continually to push back against this tendency in my own mind. And, and let me just say this, like you said, uh, yeah, so I, I had this problem and then I be some people say I had this problem and then I became a Christian and I don't have that problem anymore. And that's sometimes true. Addictions can be broken. Sure. Your know, sin patterns can be it can be broken whatever. But for most of us there are always going to be certain symptoms or principles that are still at work plaguing us. So I would say it like, well yeah, listen, um I used to have a lot of negative self-talk and a very inaccurate uh, perspective on who I am as a person and I had no answer for those thoughts. Now I have the answer. But I still have the question. It's still there. So what do I do? My habits are, one, is, and this is I think the most foundational one for Christians, this is what we do, is we read the scripture. And we're not just reading the scripture because it's a task that we're supposed to do. We read the scripture because we believe that it is God's revelation. It is God's word to us. And it's not just a book of rules. It is a revelation. So in reading the word, you're learning about who God is. And you're learning about yourself. John Calvin talks about this, right? That there's this relationship between the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. And, it, and there's an argument to be had, right? You can't really know yourself without knowing God. But how do you, where do you start? Like right. what comes first, the knowledge of God or the knowledge of self? But the point is, is that they're very interrelated. The better you understand who God is, the better understanding you'll have of yourself. So I go to the word, I read the word, I read the word every day. That's not a flex, it's my job. I'm a pastor. Yeah. So I have to be in the word every day. I'm always in the word. I don't have a choice. If I wasn't in the word, everybody would be able to tell and I would get in trouble. But (laughs) the upside is I'm always in the word. And so God uses that. But I'll tell you, prayer, of course, is a part of that worship. All the aspects of worship, like you're singing songs and there are these prayers that are offered and all of these things are reflecting truth that are feeding into my soul. If you're at a healthy church, they're not telling you that you're nothing but a loser and that you're just a worm. They're telling you that you're a sinner in need of God's grace, but as a sinner, you are loved by God and that's forming who you are. There's all kinds of things. But I would say in a practical sense, one of the most effective things that I, it's not even something that I do, it is something that's happening, is I have the church. I don't mean the institution, I mean the people. The people at the local church are the ones who tell me that, though this is true about you. So I'll give you an example. I felt called to ministry pretty early on, but I never thought I could be a pastor because my past was too messed up and I was too, you know, I was just, wasn't spiritual enough to pursue that. But then I had people in the church and pastors tell me, you should actually go to Bible college and start to study to see, because I think you might be called. And then in the church, it's like, what's my spiritual gift? I couldn't tell you what my spiritual gift was. The church had to tell me what my spiritual gift is because I think I'm bad at everything. And the, and the church is like, your gift is preaching. And it, it took about a decade, but I finally started to believe them. Like, okay, I'm good at preaching. And I know this because the church tells me not because I feel it necessarily. And to this day, the church is very responsive to my preaching and very encouraging. And, you know, I think my best sermon is like a C plus. I'm like, the only confidence that I have in my preaching is like, well, I explained God's word and I tried to apply it to their life. I didn't mess that part up, but in terms of delivery mechanics and all that stuff, pretty terrible. But they're all very affirming and very encouraging. So I would say it's a combination of accessing truth in the context of community. Those are the things that I'm finding that have borne the most amount of fruit. The truth being God's revelation, the community being the church. That's where I have found a lot of growth and progress and not thinking that I'm terrible at everything. And I'm grateful because God has brought people into my life to say, hey, you should do this. When I would not have the courage to put myself out there to do it. On my own. Like he's always, he's brought people in to say, try this because uh, this might be something that you should do.
0: There's something incredible about this outward call that you're describing where people are coming to you and reminding you of the truth about you, what God's word says about right. you, because we need others. Yeah. So many of us want to just go and just do it on our own and pull ourselves up. I'm the by preacher. Our own. Yeah. I'm, I tell you, right. you don't tell me. Right, Let's right. Semi- I, I went to seminary. Yeah, I drive a Ford Taurus. I am forty. I, you know, I, I, I don't drive a Ford Taurus. You know, and I am fifty. We get to this point where we think that because we have a certain job or whatever, we have these expectations that we have to do on our own, and we were not designed for that. We were yeah. designed for community, yeah, community totally. with God, and community with others. And you are describing people who are coming to you. And reminding you of the truth, even when you can't remind yourself of the truth. You're getting that from outside of you, which I think is very helpful and needed. Yeah. And I love how so far you've talked about this idea of becoming, which is basically this idea of a growth mindset, and that we are becoming as we are going back to the source, as we're going back to the scriptures and remembering what God says about us, as we are going to community and rehearing what is true about us. And then that helps shape what we say about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I would define myself as a recovering perfectionist. And so as a perfectionist, and I didn't know this until like seven months ago that I was this much of a perfectionist. And now I started reading things. I was, well, when I say reading, I'm listening to an audible book, right? Becoming an imperfectionist. And I'm listening to this book. It's a great title. Oh yeah. It was title. perfect. And I'm sitting here listening to it and At that time, I was focused on walking 10 miles a day, losing weight, pushing myself, and I'm listening to it, and he's digging deep into perfectionism, and all I hear the entire time is, that's you, that's you, that's you. And I got a little frantic, and I'm listening to it. I had to turn it off, and I'm on a 10-mile walk. I'm trying to watch what I'm eating, and I'm like, I need ice cream. So I just so happened to be walking by a Baskin-Robbins. I went hard. I got the biggest cookie dough ice cream experience <laughs> in a waffle cone. And I'm walking around a lake knowing that, you know what, this may not even out the way I want it to, but I am happy with each bite. It was like my mental health was just improving, you know, it, and, it's,
1: it's improving <laughs> and it's working against what you want to give off. There's a vibe because I used to run. I was a runner. There's a vibe when you're out there exercising, people see you exercising, right? Look at that guy. He's getting after it. boy. They see your Which dumb... can
0: play into the perfectionism. Exactly.
1: But then they see you walking around eating an ice cream cone. You don't get points for that. There are no accolades for walking around the lake eating an ice cream cone, you lazy loser.
0: There are people in their sweats and I'm sitting there rocking this huge <laughs> cone, walking around this lake where everyone else is working out. And I'm smiling because yeah. I'm like, this is exactly what I need.
1: Yeah. But the whole idea of perfectionism, because people think like, well... You know, how could a guy like Joe, for example, be a perfectionist? Like, you know, he's, he's not perfect in anything that he does. So like, well, nobody is perfectionism is the idea that I'm not satisfied and I'm not worthy unless I hit a specific measuring point, right? Like it's gotta be perfect, whatever that is in your own mind. And, and, and not only that, usually it means I need other people to recognize it as well. So it's a really unhealthy place to be breaking through that to focus on becoming right, is, is a much healthier place because becoming is not perfect. Because the whole, the whole Christian, especially in the Reformed tradition, we know that we will never be free from sin on this side of the resurrection. We will never, this side of heaven, be free from sin, corruption. There will always, it'll always stick to it's us.
0: It's gonna hound us. us.
1: Yes. But becoming, and that's how I talk about it with especially people that are not in the church. Inside evangelical churches, we talk about sanctification, the process of being conformed to the image of God. But when I talk to people not in the church, I talk about becoming because they get that because everybody understands I am not yet what I could be. And most people get, I am not yet what I should be. And so it's like, okay, so then what is that? And then how do we try? Some people try to like, oh, they focus on working out or they get plastic surgery or they get make more money. And they're all attempts at trying to achieve becoming what they are not. But until you understand what it is that you're supposed to become, it's all in vain. So the, the whole idea of becoming, I think, is a good starting point for a lot of people who may not be as familiar with scripture as, say, like you or I are.
0: You bring up this idea of could versus should. And one thing I was reflecting on a few months ago was when I look back and how my negative self-talk would work itself out is you should have never done that. You should have never said that. You yeah, made yeah. a mistake. It was like I was replaying it over and over and every day morning something that happened months ago, that happened years ago my own stuff that I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and be like, well, you're just terrible. That's why you did it. Or you are a waste. And it's like with the perfectionism, there's this, well, I should have done this. You can't get past it. No. And it's basically the law. I think of things in terms of law and gospel. And Mm -hmm. in this case, this is like a lowercase law. It's not the Mosaic law of God. It's not what we see in the Ten Commandments. But it's the if I do this, if I lose a bunch of weight or if I learn all the five dollar words so I sound smart, then I will be loved. Mm. Then I will have everything I need. But what I picked up was this idea of could versus should. Now I look back and I say to myself, well, I could have done this. I didn't, but I could have. And that slight shift gives me hope of, well, yeah. I'm up. I by zigged when I should have zagged. I did not do the right thing. Yeah. But what I'm going to do moving forward is
1: that that I mean, talk about that, right? Because what you're that shift in mindset is is the difference between looking back and seeing I failed and the inability to derive any fruit from that versus oh yeah I failed, but here's what I've learned from that. And anybody who is actually successful and healthy that I know. They talk about, I, f- I failed a hundred times before I succeeded once. And I, but like, but it took me failing a hundred times to learn in order to become and for the Christian for me, this is how I learn how precious God's word is. Because if I go without it for a season or a period of time, and I finally get my, find my way back to it. I'm like, holy smokes, what have I been missing? Or if I find myself falling into lust or greed or whatever, And you, if you can assess it properly, you realize like these things, lust and greed are not leading to any kind of satisfaction or joy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to basically replace virtues with these sins. And so I think there's a way to, to use that as a, to use your failures. This is what I wanted to ask you. Is there a way, how do you, you look at your failures like, oh, I, I should have done better. Is there a way to look at that that actually leads you to doing better versus looking at it and never being able to get over, I can't believe I did this. You know, the people are constantly looking back and never looking forward. How do you move from looking back to looking forward in light of that failure?
0: Well, I think that one of our friends, Krista McDonough, who I interviewed in the second MercyCast episode, she has this idea that I just really was taken by that we should on ourselves that we will say, I should have done this, I should have done that. And it ultimately just pushes us down rather than raises us up. And where the law shows up in should, I think grace leads us with could. Mm -hmm. And can. And can, right? Yes. When I first started preaching, I was actually living at the house of a pastor in West Virginia and I had him look over a couple of my sermons and, you know, I was doing the seminary thing. I'd had all of my preaching books tell me, here's how you do a homiletical outline. Mm -hmm. And everything was, you must do this. You must do that. And that's pure law. I'm putting things on the congregation that I'm not putting on myself or worse. I'm putting things on myself that aren't right. And I'm just giving those back to the congregation and just adding more to their difficult weeks and putting more on their shoulders. And this pastor looked at me and said, you know what? change must to can, because grace frees you to be able to do that. And so I think for me, as I make this shift from should to could, from must to can, I look at it from the lens of a low anthropology. I think many of us have, and this was coined by Paul Zoll, and this was given a very good treatment by Dave Zoll, who just wrote a book called Low Anthropology. But this idea of if I have a high anthropology, perfectionism is going to flourish there. I have to have it all right. And if I see myself as someone who on my best day, I'm making mistakes, I am not perfect. And if I just talk to myself like I would talk to my neighbor, if you came to me and said, man, I've had a tough week, I'm not going to look at you and be like, well, why don't you get it together, you idiot? Yeah. But I can talk to myself that way. Oh, yeah, we do. So why do I get to be my jerk friend when I am not the jerk friend to other people?
1: That's good. Yeah, well, I think because that's probably how we feel, even, what, even towards other people. I mean, if you say that to yourself, and I, I've definitely said that to myself, I can remember when I was, I was having a mental breakdown back in 2011 about with anxiety and stuff. But before I understood what was going on, I would feel overwhelmed and stressed out about everything happening in ministry, and now everything was pretty good. things were happening. I was getting published, and the church was growing, and people were getting saved. But I would feel overwhelmed, and then the, the voices in my head are, "What wait a minute what are you what are you stressing out about? You're, you have a church of one hundred and fifty people, you baby <laughs> like like you know they have a small church what are you, What are you crying about? There are people that have it much worse than you are, and you're over here thinking like How is it, how am I ever going to get out of here? You just need to man up. You need to step up. You know, you're just, uh, you're just being a baby. That was the whole thing. You're being a baby. Get over it, which isn't, by the way, it's not particularly theologically accurate or helpful to say that you're being a baby, but that is how I was talking to myself. And while I would never talk to somebody else that way, I did think that way about people. I just knew it's not polite and it's not going to be particularly helpful. But I probably did think I think if we think to ourselves that way, we probably have that in our minds towards others as well.
0: So you would say replacing those negative thoughts with positive thoughts or at least adding the positive thoughts or the reminders of what the Bible says about you, what God thinks about you, what your friends think about you, your healthy friends.
1: Identify the lie and replace it with truth. Right. Am I being a baby? Here's the thing. I've been in ministry over 20 years as a pastor, as a senior pastor, preaching pastor, whatever. Everybody's suffering. Everybody is really hurting. People are messed up. And I wind up saying the same things to everybody at different points. And one of the things I have to tell people is is like, listen, your suffering is real. Don't discard it or downplay it because it isn't as severe in your mind as somebody else. So no, you're not sold into slavery and, uh, you're, you're not, you're not being humanly trafficked, right? That, that, that's not what you're going. That, that's about as bad as it can get, right? Right. We, we, on our scales of how we might measure things. Okay. But what you're going through is suffering and it is your suffering. You got to identify that, embrace that. And now say now, how do I handle this affliction, this difficulty without comparing it to anybody else? But how do I handle this difficulty and this affliction? Well, what do I learn from it? How do I, persevere through it like that so again it's you have to have i think a a right sense of what you're going through and replace the lies like this doesn't matter because it's not as bad as somebody else's problem that's a lie. it is your problem so now what is the truth that's going to help me get through that
0: well and the gospel takes place in reality and Mm -hmm. so when we live in illusion whether it's good or bad whatever our fantasy may be Jesus doesn't get to us in our fantasy he comes to us in our reality so when we accept our reality then we're able to confess our reality to God and yeah. God knows our reality he he dwells in reality he became man and became like us mm-hmm. to save us in every way which includes the way that we think about ourselves as yeah. we are becoming as we are being saved our self loathing can give way to self-love. Yeah. This idea that you mentioned earlier in the talk where you said that scripture, the truth of God, checks aberrant and intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. And through that, we're able to replace that with the truth. The word in the church reminds us of who we are. They remind us that we are loved even when we don't love ourselves. And even yeah. when we're not saying that we love ourselves, we are still growing because we are being transformed and we are able to preach the truth to ourselves. And it's not, yeah. listen, that's not, that's not feel good talk either. Because when I say like, oh, I'm being a baby.
1: Okay, that's, okay, that's not helpful. And what, what I think God says in his word is, is like, no, you, listen, you're not a baby. You're not a nothing, but you are more needy than you can possibly understand. You're not a nothing, you're needy. You're not a baby, you're a sinner. And I offer help to sinners. God says, you know what? You know who I love? I love sinners. I put my love upon them and I save them and I bring them to myself and I build them up and I help them become like, that's huge. But it, you don't get to sidestep the the hard words. The hard words are, oh no, oh no, you're, you're not a baby. It's worse than that. <laughs> you're a sinner and you are needy, but you're also, you're, that's not all that you are. You're also fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the creation of God.
0: So for our listeners who are really processing through their own negative self-talk, the things that like maybe they have been doing this their entire life and maybe for the first time they're recognizing, yeah, I do that too. What are one to three things that you would tell them as they're processing this on their own journey?
1: Well, I can tell you what, what I have found helpful, which is have a trusted friend or two that you can be very real with who are farther along in this than you are. Find somebody that can model this for you. Find somebody that can coach you through this stuff, right? Because if you just, you know, if it's just me and another guy and we're just gonna, we're at the same place, it's easy to wallow in self-loathing or in our current status. So find somebody that can actually help you, somebody that you find to be more mature in these areas. So that's gonna be a big help. Um, as I've already said, give yourself the opportunity to read and to understand God's word. It don't turn it into a burden. Don't turn it into a job. I would say read the Psalms in particular. I find the most, I found them some of the most rewarding and encouraging times out of self loathing in the Psalms because the Psalmists understand pain and suffering and they understand the feeling that God isn't there. Even when he is there, they understand that stuff and then they yeah. come around to see it. So read the word find good people that are going to be a good coach and a mentor to you. But, Listen, talk to yourself. And I, I mean that like argue with yourself. That might even be a better word. Argue with yourself. When you're hearing these crushing thoughts, like have a dialogue, right? So when you think, oh, I am, I'm just, I'm, I'm nothing or I'll never get better and things are never good. Check yourself. What's, what's accurate? What's true? And, and what's wrong? And now you have to have a means by which to assess what's right and wrong. That's why we always go back to the word. Yeah, In my case, it's always been community, so mature people that can help me. I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me, better than me in certain areas so I can flourish in those areas. So find that, stay close to the word. And honestly, I know the church is broken, that there's no perfect church. And we, some of you have experienced horrible treatment at churches, but there are good churches out there too, filled with wonderful, compassionate, kind-hearted people. I would say, uh, don't give up looking for that, find that. I can say this. I would never have continued to persevere in faith, to grow and to become apart from God's people. I I, I would have fallen apart and fallen away a long time ago.
0: Joe, thanks for all this. Thanks for helping us walk through what it means to talk to ourselves.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. It's a good time.
0: If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you, so you can email us at info at Till next time. Have mercy on yourselves and each other.